Hey Firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. Hey, we just passed the 100 official episodes mark and you know what? We are still all abuzz. The Firecracker Department core team, oh my gosh, we're so proud of being able to do what we are doing and bring voices and stories to you. We're still celebrating. And you know what? We're celebrating with more new episodes. Yeah, that's right. New voices, new stories, new events coming soon. So if you need any of that information, firecrackerdepartment.com. You'll find all about it there. Now, okay, so my week, you know, in Firecrack Department land, <laughs> we're doing a little bit of restructuring. You know, I never went to business school, so I'm not like business savvy, but I do know what is in my gut. And I do know how good it feels when people come together for a common purpose, which is what is happening with Firecrack Department. So what we're doing right now is we have a core team. And then within the core team, we have a team called the Actioneers. Thank you, Farah Marani, for the best title ever. The Actioneers are in charge of helping steer this beautiful ship so that it's not just in my hands. And I have to say, we've gathered an amazing group of people. We've got Farah Marani, Winnie Wong, Sydney Nielsen, Kathleen Harkwell, Veronica Martin, and AJ Edmonds. And I have to say, that's a power team. Shout out to Anna Gustafson who helped us get things on its way. And boy, we couldn't be here without her. So with this Actioneers team, we are looking at how the Firecracker Department is running, wants to run and can run so that we have a sustainable company. We're not gonna be just a flash in the pan. And one of the things we're looking at is the commitment with each department to the diversity and inclusivity that we are trying to make happen within our firecracker department. You know, when the Black Lives Matter movement surged, I don't think it just began, I feel like it's been ongoing and it just surged and people woke up. We all knew that we had to make changes and we all sort of put our foot on the pedal and um, our foot is still on there and we're making changes. <laughs> it's never as fast as I want it to be. You know, I wanna see a change within my organization tomorrow. But these things take time and I have to say, I have such confidence with the Actioneer team and with our core team. And then we've also welcomed Sedna Fiatti, who is gonna work as a consultant to keep us on track and offer her wisdom and her creativity and her heart which man, we're grateful for that too. So, you know, if you're making up a recipe for best team ever, I feel like we've got all the right ingredients and I'm really excited to share some of the projects that we have coming up because, um, you know, people, now here's the thing, when folks congratulate me on Firecrack Department, and I'm not just being humble, I'm being realistic. It's not just me, it's people like Farah who make a commitment to having the script department shine as bright as they can with as much diversity as we can. And the same with Nadine Brito, who's in the writing department, and Veronica leading the mentorship department. Like, it's each of these amazing people that are holding the reins with a common purpose. And um, I'm, I'm just lucky to be on the team. I feel so lucky. So stay tuned. We have some exciting projects coming your way. And as I always say, there's always a seat for you at the firecracker department table. So get involved and uh, take some creative action with us. A sidebar shout out to the new script department team, Rebecca Marquardt, Lauren Shell, Tanu Ravi, Liesl Lafferty, and to Farah Marani for putting together this team that feels like you've been a team forever. It feels like you've just sprinkled some magical firecracker department pixie dust and it's just like solid, uh, hardworking, and everybody just pitches in where they need to pitch in. It's really 
It's really a beautiful thing. If you want more information about the script department or how you can submit a script to the department to have read, go to firecrackerscriptdepartment at gmail.com. Okay, our guest on the show this week is writer, podcaster, comedian, Rebecca Lieb. I so love speaking with Rebecca. Her work has appeared in the AV Club, Bustle, and Mary Claire. Most recently, she's been working as a writer-producer on Nat Geo's Brain Games reboot with Keegan-Michael Keith. And I have to say, that show is so much fun. FYI, we're working on some kind of firecracker trivia night ourselves, so stay tuned for that. And if you haven't had a chance to see Brain Games, they do science experiments and challenges, and there's like a mentalist that'll blow your mind. Uh, they break down illusions and psychology, and it's just a really cool show. I have to say, looking at what Rebecca's working on right now, she is busy. The episode with Tiffany Haddish is so good, so good. It's all about magic and movies. Now, you can catch that fantastic treat of a show anytime over on Disney+. Plus. Rebecca has also been a writer for Disney, CBS, NBC Digital, and Investigation Discovery. She's written hilarious and brilliant stuff online for Vice, Reductress, LAist, LA Weekly, The Rumpus, and more. She is busy! And you may have had this firecracker in your ears already on her Comedy Meets Strange History podcast, Ghost Town, which has been number two on the Apple Podcast comedy charts. Go check that out. Ghosts? Comedy? I mean, basically, peanut butter and jelly. Am I right? Come on. How, how can you have a better marriage than that? Rebecca was a breath of fresh air in an age of continued lockdown, and I so enjoyed speaking to her. She's such a vivacious and uh, passionate person, and I'm so excited to share my chat with you. So here she is. Here's my chat with writer, producer, comedian, Rebecca Lieb. Because you've been, I mean, you've been doing stand-up and comedy for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's such, I, find, I find our paths so interesting because I know um, I read somewhere that your parents are attorneys. They are, yeah. That's so, right. like, but don't you love that, like, these comedy, because my dad's a, uh, a chemistry professor. My mom stayed at home. Uh-huh. She's artistic. But, like, uh-huh. your comedy brain to come from attorneys? Yeah. Yeah, it's what? it's kind of incredible. Yeah, um, and I also think because I've been I've been doing the artist way too. Because me too. Family. What are you serious? Yes. Yeah, we just finished it a couple of weeks, and with Firecrack Department, we're just we're actually diving back in and doing it again. Oh my god, that's so, so I'm in the zone, what? man. Yeah, we, we do have these weird parallels. But I was just thinking about um, Shadow Career. I'm on week three, so we're, okay. we're kind of it's me and then one of my best friends is a musician. Yeah. You got to um, do it with somebody else. You can't. Do yeah. It. There's yeah. four, there's five of us, one, uh, two musicians, two writers, um, and me. Well, I mean, I'm kind of a writer too, but, uh, but they're like more journalistic writers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been great, but talking about shadow careers and my parents, my, my whole family is very funny and they're very, they love creativity, but they just never, I think my dad wanted to be Atticus Finch and like my, you know, like my mom wanted to make money. <laughs> she did not want to like do any like courtroom performing, but my, my whole family is like pretty performative. It's not even just my parents. My brother is an attorney. Uh, three of my uncles are attorneys. Like wow. it's very kind of rampant in my family. <laughs> and then you're like, um, gonna, yeah, gonna like, tap uh, out of that attorney. I will be broke. <laughs> yeah. I choose to not make money. Um, but yeah. no, they, I think they were really, I was really, and they go back and forth. Every once in a while, they're like, you should go to grad school. And I was like, I've already been to grad school. <laughs> Do you want right. me to make another like giant debt-filled decision? And then other times they're like, you're great. You're amazing. Like, you know, 
um, things are going great. You know, like they, they kind of go back and forth. They, they've never been disparaging about it. I think they've always been really, really supportive, which I, again, what a blessing. Yeah. I mean, it's just not what we grew up in, right? We didn't grow up in uncertainty. Yeah, so I wonder no. how, like, how do you manage that? How do you balance that, uh, that mm-hmm. leap of faith that you're taking and that you have been taking? It's not like it's new. No, I mean, thankfully it's been, I've been consistently working since about 2012, 2013. But I think again, it's like, to be honest, it is a privilege to be able to feel like I can have someone bail me out if I need to, like my family, a supportive family is such a gift. And it's like, not that exciting to talk about on a stage. But it's, it's, <laughs> I know. It Nobody wants to stuff. It's like, so like, great. My great, mortgage cool. is reasonable. I, I know. I know. Parents. My credit is great. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's not as fun or exciting to talk about, but I think doing that, I think they gave me a lot of confidence. And I think certain things like, you know, certain things you're just like, I should just never do this again. <laughs> this sample sucks. And other times you're like, no, like this is good. And just weathering that. And I had so many weird jobs. I was a tutor for a while. I was a phone sex operator for a while. I was a tour guide for a while. Like I wrote um, sample essays for this company when I first moved out to LA. I was an assistant, you know, like I worked for a psychic. It's just like, yeah. you just make ends meet and you're just like trying to hustle. And then, and I often found that maybe writing and performing in that time was easier than now where a lot of my, all of my work is creative and then just switching gears and trying to do stuff for myself has been harder versus like being like, all right, I got these five jobs down. Now I have to like continue writing this pilot. Well, that's just it too, is because you're like food, shelter, clothing, right? So cover (laughs) that and then you're allowed to (laughs) practice your craft. So how do you find the balance of that, like, you know, in the energy sense too, because if you are tapped out at the end of the day from doing tarot card readings and phone sex, yeah. I'm not saying that's what your life is anymore, but then yeah. like, where, yeah. how do you balance? Because you got a pilot to write. <laughs> I know. Um, it's, it's, it's a struggle for me. It's, I am a compulsive list maker. Um, I always have stuff kind of in the air. So I have to like see it in front of me to get it done. And I also have to really create that time and space and having like a designated workspace. Um, especially, I mean, because I've been working in TV for a little while now, I kind of, I'm trying to stick to that schedule now, um, mm-hmm. quarantine, but it, it's hard. I mean, I could just, I can fill my time so well with so many things. So much, so many lists. Anything. I yeah. can spend like a good 45 minutes just gathering oh, the yeah. lists and making it another list. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what so a beautiful, satisfying. I, tap into that so hard you have no yeah. idea oh um, yeah yeah <laughs> i started all these little like the yellow notes on computers and, phones, oh, and then every once yeah. in a while i cull them oh, it's not it's like a, this, it's beautiful mind slash chaos like yeah it's like your your storage unit and you have all the yellow yeah. notes but it's in your phone it's digital i love i love a like i have a note right here i yeah these but like i lose that it's there everywhere there's a whole no if you lose and like if you lose a scrap of paper sometimes Mm -hmm. like and it's like i need this scrap of paper because i actually Mm -hmm. can't remember the thing that's written vertically Mm -hmm. there yeah (laughs) nightmare so then but you always knew you wanted to do comedy even like 
when they were like, I think you should go, let's go into the attorney path. And you're like, or I want to be broke and stand <laughs> yeah. up in front of strangers and tell them about my life. Exactly. Uh, no, I actually, I always knew I wanted to be somewhat creative. I think it's weird because my brothers are, one of them is a professor and one of them is an attorney that works for my parents, which is very intense. But yeah. We all grew up with them with like giant binders on desks late at night, like yep. studying these, you know, legal documents. And for me, I was like, I never want to do this. This is so dry and boring. But my brothers had a, just a different experience of it. So yeah. I was always like, oh, um, man. Although I do find comfort in a lot of public buildings and like office spaces. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like, yeah, I feel very, very calm if I'm in like a shitty office space from the 80s. It's great. Yeah. Um, with bad coffee that's really important but I I, I actually started because I was drawing as a young kid I was really into art and actually my undergrad grad degrees are in art and oh, illustration right so my parents kind of recognized that I was good I won some like art contests as a kid so they were really excited about that so I was kind of pushed in an artistic direction just not a comedic one although looking back a lot of my art and comedy was or like a lot of the art that I made was like funny or like comic strips or uh -huh. you know had like funny commentary and I was always kind of like a funny weirdo kid and then when I went to you know art school a lot of it was performance based so it, it looking back now I'm like oh like I get I get where this came from yeah and I get where it where it went but I also think I um I did want to do something that was so and I guess it's not like that like a lot of obviously it's digital but when I was doing art in undergrad and grad school it was all so like physical and you're drawing for like hours a day and you have to be so steeped in it. And I think two things occurred where I was like, I'm not sure if I want to be a visual artist. And one was I, I broke my wrists. Um, and this was when I was a, in high school too, but like I started getting arthritic and I was like, Oh, oh my fuck, God. Like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause I was using my wrists so much right. for school. So I was like, do I want to have a career that's based off of this thing where I'm, 22 years old and I'm already having problems, health problems with. Oh my God. Yeah. That must have been terrifying. It was, it was really hard. Um, it sucked. And another thing was the art world. I was doing art review and I always like was taking writing. Like I loved art review and that was part of my art um, education. And I started doing more art review as I left grad school and they were like, oh, maybe you should like, and I wrote for a couple of like publications out here uh, when I first got out here. And I was like, it's so, ivory tower it feels like inaccessible mm. Not, when I was out yeah being active in the art world as a reviewer critic it just felt like very like not quite my jam so I was like yeah oh, you just felt like watching from the outside what you really wanted to be doing yeah, yeah kind of and it wasn't even like art specifically or visual art I just think I'm like what am I contributing to here is this accessible for people do I feel happy about what I'm putting out and the reach of what I'm putting out. And I wasn't really. Um, so I tr transitioned. I mean, at that point I was kind of assisting and I had done the second city in Chicago. So I kind of knew I wanted to go in that direction. But yeah, I think, I think I love art. I will always love it. Maybe I'll do some more review at some point in my life, but it's funny how it became such an, an obsession. It was my concentration for so long. Yeah. All of my life as a student revolved around visual art and there was so much pressure on it and now it's the opposite now when i draw it's the least pressure filled thing i go to a museum like i go outside and now writing is the most pressure filled and comedy is you know something that used to give me such relief in the art world so they've completely changed over right
Yeah. Do you find you get stressed from comedy now? Cause it's become your job. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I get stressed about my brain and I'm like, am I funny? I think I have the same questions that a lot of people have. And also like getting older too. I'm like, am I relevant? To, can I write to these people? Like a lot of my job, especially when I was working in like game shows, for example, I kind of, uh, I worked in this show called Hollywood Game Night. And a lot of that was um, connecting with comedians and writing their like chat copy and stuff. Right, right. And, you know, like things like that, where it's like, you have to connect to someone. And I know so many people who are so, one of my bosses specifically is so good at writing in other people's voices. And they're, they, yeah, his name is Grant Taylor. He's amazing at it. Um, and he, yeah, he just like locked in. And I think it can be hard to feel like you can lock into younger people or older people. And I think that is always something where I'm like, I'm writing this treatment now and I'm like, can I lock into this voice mm-hmm. um, kind of a thing? So that's, that was always a big, a lot of pressure for me. I mean, it's always like, you know, like how funny, why did I not get this job? Am I not funny enough or like whatever? Like, all, you know, the same. Oh yeah. Same things. I don't think that changes. Do you have like yeah. a, do you have like a system that you use now to sort of lock into people's voices? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of studying their stuff and a lot of what makes me laugh. I think connecting, the point of connection for me is like what makes me laugh about them. Yeah. That Venn diagram of like my experience and their experience, like where does it cross over and can I mine that area? Oh, Um, that's smart. I love that. Yeah. It's pretty, and it's also like very, very fun, but at the same time too, I think another problem is writing for other people versus writing for myself, which again- Very universal problem, very, uh, something we all struggle with, but that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's because you're following somebody else's sort of dream. Like I know when I've never been hired to write somebody else's pilot, but I can see it when I've worked with other people and I'm like, this is your idea. This is your story. I'm serving that as opposed to my own story. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was hired, my writing part, my comedy partner and I, uh, we worked together a fair amount, but we're hired by this guy named Michael Uslan. He, he's the executive producer of Dark Knight. He did Joker. Like he's so like, we were like, oh my God, like we got hooked up with this guy and we're like, we're nobody. Does he know that? Um, but he had us write this pilot, this like superhero pilot, which again, I have no interest in superheroes. I, it was very hard for me to connect to that material but like traversing into a world that is so, was so foreign was also very freeing too. Where it's like, you are a blank slate. You don't have yeah. any investment in any of the superhero vernacular, like just run with it. Yeah. And there's something to be said about fresh voices too. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, if somebody, uh, I know you're fairly political, but I am not. And if somebody <laughs> asked me to do like, put like when I've like put tapes together for like, like daily show correspondence or something like that, mm-hmm. I've had to go, okay, like how, how am I going to do this? How's Naomi going to speak a voice that, you know, because I speak on behalf of a lot of people. I'm not alone when I say I'm not overly, yeah. but I have a venue in, I have a path in. Yeah. To find the, that Venn diagram thing. Exactly. And that, it yeah. can be very scary too. Cause it's like, you're like, am I going to sound authoritative? Like, is it going to feel like it fits in this already like, you know, heavily trod world and dialogue politically, you know, like whatever, like kind of, world that you're entering in that's so that's where I mean even I, I feel like I'm fairly political and even I am like do I know what like what am I talking about here <laughs> like uh, am I in do I feel like I feel comfortable here yeah definitely well definitely. what do you speak about that you're like I know my shit <laughs> <laughs> like I Got feel nothing. like I talk, I'm second city I, I'm in second city Toronto 
So I feel like if I talk improv, like I know my improv. Yeah. I can speak really, really confidently. Yeah. I mean, I think at a certain point I probably knew improv pretty well. What is like my, um, yeah, there's a lot of like little, I think writing pilots. I think I know that the formula for writing a sitcom really well. I feel it's very heavily embedded in my DNA. I know tarot really well from just working for the psychic and doing these, like I was, I had a life as like a celebrity, like tarot party reader. And so that is something, um, I think I'm really good at, uh, being curious and listening to people. I feel like maybe in another life, I'm like, Oh, I could have been like a therapist or something. Cause I love people and like their stories and, um, just connecting with them. Um, yeah, I love that. I love yeah. the idea that I'm really good at being curious because I feel like my grandmother lived to be like 105 and I'm, oh I felt God. like, I know, but I felt like that's what kept her going was her curiosity. Good. Like oh when email came along, uh-huh. she was like, okay, let's figure this out. Like she still had a curiosity about it. So that's amazing. Yeah. That is very inspiring. And yeah, because it can feel maddening, I think, because I think the culture, I'm sure you've experienced this where it's like, focus up you live it you breathe it and that's so not how I am (laughs) so I was always like am I doing this wrong yeah yeah when you started at Second City was that like Mm -hmm. a 90 degree turn for you into comedy or was that always like I gotta do that it's like people tell me Mm -hmm. I'm funny I should find out if I am that (laughs) yeah definitely have the people telling me I'm funny I think for me it was I was in grad school at the time and I was you know sitting in a studio like either in front of a computer or from front of like a piece of paper. And I just felt very restless and I did improv in college a little bit, but again, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing to write home about. Um, so second city, I was like, Oh, like maybe I'll audition for the conservatory. Cause I had a little, I took a couple acting classes in college or whatever. Um, and it was just a short 22 bus ride from my apartment to second city, Chicago. So I auditioned and I got in and I was like, Oh, I have to do this now. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. And it was very, I think back on that time. And again, I had very minimal improv experience now. And I was also like 21, 22. Like I had I, oh, cringeworthy right. comedic choices. <laughs> um, but it was such a great But you have to go through that. Like I yeah. look back at my comedy when I started, <laughs> I'm like, oh God. But like we had to go through that to get to this place. We didn't exactly. start in the perfection that we are right now. <laughs> In the, yeah, exactly. You know, we are gods and queens. As we are perfect now. God mm-hmm. forbid. We, yeah, we're never always like this, but we're no. here now. Um, but yeah, but I think, uh, again, in grad school and in the Second City Conservatory, which I, were, I was doing at the same time, there were people that were decades older than me that were really good and really smart. And I think it's hard. <laughs> I think it can be hard to be that person and feeling like you're the youngest one. You know, like looking back, I'm like, oh, I was like kind of a baby in these places yeah. and they must have been like oh boy <laughs> but you're right it's it's all a process it all kind yeah. of takes you to a place and I still am I'm close with some people that I I met in the second city conservatory yeah and in, in grad school and they they still are friends with me so <laughs> and they're still I mean it has to go both ways Ooh, yeah. they don't call me ever oh wait a second oh, I'm friends with them with me. yeah uh, <laughs> yeah why is their camera mm. always off uh, so was there, cause I think that a lot of people start in comedy cause they have like family or friends being like, you're funny. You should do mm-hmm. comedy. Was yeah. there a moment where you were like, oh no, I'm funny. Like you knew in your heart of hearts that you have that muscle. Yeah. I mean, I think I always, it's weird because my 
kind of like, I'm from a family of like men and it's very male. Yeah. Uh, maybe, so my, maybe a mother, maybe a mother as well. <laughs> one mom. I got okay, one cool. mom in there, <laughs> one mom in the mix. Um, yeah. But like, I think it's very male dominated, I guess. And the, and the comedic sensibility is very male. Right. <laughs> um, so I never felt like I was as funny and my, I have a very funny family, but again, most of, most of them are men. So I was like, Oh, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm that funny because they have this specific, like, kind of like gross like hyper masculine yeah. humor and even now too like I'll play clip laugh with my family and it's like oh boy um <laughs> like why am I here um but yeah I think I was always like oh I'm funny we, you know I get along with my family and they think I'm funny but I'm not as funny as they are and then I think leaving and finding my voice more through the art world yeah and people in that world being like oh you're funny and seeing it through a different lens was really amazing. right because your drawing was funny yeah, and, and that was, was like just your funny artist. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was so serious, and everyone was so serious in grad school and yeah. and undergrad too. But like, I think giving it some levity and getting a response in that context was always really funny to me, and also very like my comedy is not really right now, but um, back then for sure very subversive towards the art world, um, very irreverent, um, and I you know, it's kind of like some shock stuff in there too. But I think. Yeah pushing that was really fun. And I got a lot of response in that. Yeah. In that context, which gave me the courage to move into, you know, like a very comedy specific area. Yeah. Will you send a couple of your drawings or paintings and we can include yeah, them sure. in the online content? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause I think that's so interesting. Like, I think we forget like, you know, when the COVID hit, I, I kind of dove into community Mm-hmm. And like, got to pull people get together. Got to like, we got to figure out this together. And then there was a level that I'm like, oh, I gotta, I like, I'm I'm funny. I gotta make sure mm-hmm. that's the thing I'm offering. Do you feel yeah. like that too? That that's like your, I don't know, your gift. I say that it feels kind of hokey pokey, but like the thing that you have is to offer is like your comedy. Yeah, I mean, in our world right now. Um, well, I think forever though. Like, forever, don't you think yeah. we're really lucky that we get to have comedy as a muscle? that we yeah. actually have and use and, <laughs> yeah. you know, like not everybody's it is, got it. Well, also even the underlying things that make you funny, I think are even more useful than comedy itself. It's like the self-awareness of it, like the, um, yeah, like the, the thought process that goes with it. I think that is really important because again, in this, especially in LA, you're like, do you even know what you're saying? Like, do you yeah. see your, like, I think, and again, self-awareness can be very crippling too in a lot of ways and um, prohibitive, but I think, yeah, I think it's, I feel so lucky and all, I mean, really I attribute it to the way I grew up and my family and mm-hmm. what I was exposed to very young, which is a lot of different things, but I'm, I'm very grateful. And I think for myself, it's been a nice thing. I think I have mixed feelings on comedy right now and, and what we should be doing during this time because it's so volatile and it's mm-hmm. really it's hard and it's hard to find humor, especially like, you know, after Trump's election, it was so, I had a bunch of shows. I was in New York at the time and I was like, how do I even do these shows? Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, they so, say like comedies, uh, you know, we all do use comedy for coping mechanisms, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like, do you, do you feel like you had to exercise your comedy muscle in order to cope with something? Yeah, definitely. I, I think too, I was going through a horrific breakup um, around the time of, I guess it was like 2016, 2017, like Trump was elected and I was like, Oh man, it was hard. everything just yeah. exploded in your world. I think, yeah, it was, it was a really tough time. And I feel like the things that got me through 
was definitely just doing a bunch of shows and writing a lot. And then I taught these pilot classes and spe specifically those classes and, and laughing in those classes and helping people. I was like, oh my God, this is, I, like, I would forget, like, you know, it would be, I'm sure you've been there where it's like this constant reminder of this pain and this loss and just trying to get through. Mm -hmm. And the, the times that I felt like I forgot that, you know, for like a yeah. half hour or something, what a gift oh. was during those times where I was laughing in these classes or, or on stage and, and really had to like turn my brain elsewhere. What? Like, yeah, yes. I mean, I've been on stage for both. I mean, I remember being on stage and like openly crying just because yeah. I was going through a horrible breakup. Oh my God. And openly like, you. right? And going like, <laughs> why isn't anybody from the audience stopping this show and going, she's crying. I like, know. She's obviously crying. Oh. And then like, as you said, like, thank God for the random and stupid jokes that get you over those yeah. bumps, you know? Oh my God, absolutely. Like there's such pain and it's like to have something to deal with that, like you said, to have some, a coping mechanism is, is what a gift because yeah. a lot of people don't have that. Um, and oh, times can yeah. be very tough as we all know. Yeah. Do you Absolutely. feel like um, the way your journey is right now? Do Because I feel like we have such uncertainty, I mean the world, mm -hmm. but in our career, do you ever feel like you're like, oh, maybe I need to brush up on that skill in order to subsidize this? Or do you want to just dive deeper into your work that you're doing right now? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm very open to the idea of being taken different places with my career and not trying to direct it. Like I, yeah, I did a ton of stand up for a long time. I did a ton of improv for a long time and sketch comedy and um, kind of morphed into more writing specifically and you know, podcasting too, which again was a very unexpected turn to my career. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think I mostly want to follow things that really, really, really interest me or that I'm going to make money off of that are creative, um, which again is kind of like, of course, but it took me a long time to do that and not be like, I have to fit into this thing. Like I am a commercial actor or I am like specifically a standup, you know, or like I have to like record an album to get to this next step. And I think I'm trying to be more open, especially now, because who knows what is going to happen to see my work and creativity manifest in unexpected ways. Right. So it feels like you're a little bit more like taking charge of your own path as opposed to like, well, I just, I'm just going to go with what they ped pigeonhole me as or. Yeah. Like, and do you feel like you can. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's an interesting balance, right? Because, yeah. because also you want to work. So you're like, how do you yeah. see me and how do I need to fit into that? But at the same time, how do I develop my own voice? Yeah. And also, yeah, I think the de developing your own voice and like, what do I want to spend time for me has always been a huge issue. What do I spend my time doing? Like what, again, I have to pay rent. We have, we need our basics. Mm -hmm. um, but like after that, like where, where is the time going to go towards always again, very, very complicated, very difficult for me to really dig into something or really commit to something. But yeah, I'm trying really hard now because it, it, it's like time is fleeting and I want to make money and I want to do things that I'm really excited about. And I don't want to get like roped into some project where I feel powerless mm -hmm. or inauthentic to myself kind of a thing, which, it, which you're right. It's a, it's, it's both things like, for example, as podcast that I have um we we do a lot of work outside of the podcast as a writing team might yeah host this is I. ghost town yes mm -hmm. um and we get hired to do things but it's very like specifically like ghost stuff and it's very right. specifically like esoteric and 
and kind of true crimey. And again, I love, I love that stuff. That's why I do the podcast. Yeah. But it's like, okay, I, it's like slowly. And I, you know, I I have a show at Dynasty Typewriter called Haunted. I'm like, am I like the, am I like the haunted, is this, am I the haunted comic? (laughs) Right. Is this who I am? Yeah. I don't want to be entirely that, but also it's, it's afforded me a lot of like really good opportunities to be very simply like, this is a comedian who deals a lot in like, haunted true crime stuff yeah I mean does is that gonna happen to all of us like yeah aren't you gonna get definitely. pigeonholed until you realize you're pigeonholed in something you don't want to be pigeonholed in and then start yeah. to like I mean I was talking to somebody else the other day who's uh, directs a lot of like intense dramas and mm-hmm. she's like I I'm longing to do comedy but people don't see me as that like yeah I mean but don't you have to go along the same path like if you're the funny ghost comic mm-hmm. for a while maybe that's okay I don't know yeah. how do you juggle it I think it is okay until it feels like it's stifling. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a project by project, step by step basis. I have a friend who is an incredibly talented, uh, she's a, a buyer and costume, she's not a designer, but she's a costume buyer mm-hmm. um, and kind of art director. And she talks about her career being, going to the point of saying no. Like she's like, you go and you go and it, it's fulfilling and moving up is great. And then you have to, make a definitive stance to get right. promoted to the next thing. You have to stop, you have to start saying no to these jobs so right. you can get the next job and how nerve wracking it was. And yeah. she's so successful and incredibly talented. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so true. Like it's that leap of faith to the next level, like knowing that you want it, that you deserve it. Right. And, and confidence of saying no to things in the face of maybe like not making as much money that month. Right. And I mean, I feel like because of your background that finances and money do play a big part in your decision making. Yeah, definitely. And security, and like certainly drill that into me. Yeah. So then like yeah. how, cause I think that's, I think that is very accurate. I think that we all st- like come to a point where you're like, I'm going to turn down that thing that's really safe and really mm-hmm. finan- maybe financially secure or maybe you know, good, good for me in different ways to mm-hmm. choose this real uncertain path. Yeah, that's been my whole life. I feel like it's easier for me because I haven't had to like leave a day job to do that. Right. I've really always been um, working 40 different jobs or like going through, yeah, I've, I've never worked an indefinite job. Right. So I, yeah, but for other people, I think it's a, a lot harder and I've always lived on very little, so it's been. Yeah, very... are you fru- are you frugal or are you spendy? Oh no, I'm, I I'm frugal in most ways. Every once in a while, I'll splurge on like a very expensive meal. I love food, like I'm very. That's your thing. That. But yeah, I definitely or, or like a piece of art too. I think art stuff that can often be a little spendy, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I've always been very broke, and then when I started making money, I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah. that's something my parents, again, really instilled in me, where it's like, you have money, please save it. <laughs> well, what's the thing that you would give up security for? Hmm. I mean, thinking that, I mean, the idea of security is also like very amorphous. But right. I think like, I would, what is security to you? Yeah. And then I mean, what would you... Me, Oh, what would I give it up for? I mean, I think I would do, a, I think I would take a lot of risks. Like, I was always like, if someone were like, you need to, I forget what director like put a film on his credit card or something. Like, yeah. I would totally do that. You, you know, would. I think, I'm, yeah, I think if there's a project that I really believed in that I really needed to make, I would definitely do it. And I think for me, security, because money is kind of like in and out and I've always kind of landed on my feet. Um, thank God, thankfully, 
because there were times where you're like, am I going to make rent? Is this check going to clear? Great. Um, yeah, I think that that has kind of just been that money, like freelance money coming in and like navigating that has been a lot of my life in LA. So I remember talking to like somebody who I thought was a really established actor that, you know, one of those people, they're like, oh, you're fine. Mm -hmm. And they were finishing a TV show. I can't remember what network is on. And they had panic. They were like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know. I'm sure financially there was a level of panic, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, she was living beyond her means, but then I think there's a creative panic too of like, yeah. where am I going to get my creative bucks from? Yeah, totally. I think that can be really hard too, to like recalibrate after you've been with a production or project for so long and then it's gone and you're like, what am I standing on now? Yeah. 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 But Do that's you have really a- exciting. Do you find it exciting? Yeah, I think I kind of like, I think ambiguity and a lot of the insecurity I do really, I don't know why. I think the excitement of that, like for better or worse, is also like, all right, here we go. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know either. It's funny, you know, when we left Canada for Los Angeles, we kept our place and we rented it out in Canada. and, And some people like just leave everything like shut her down and move here mm-hmm. and there's sort of two I have two minds like if if we had done that and just dot, dove into LA maybe it would have been we would have been more hungry for making this our place yeah. as opposed to like we can always go back but True. then my I need that kind of security I need that kind of like yeah home base of sorts to be confident about my my yeah. leaping I think I think that's true and I think I think that that's a good, yeah, I think some people are really, you have to like leave everything and you have to just like, you know, pull the ripcord on it. And yeah. some people need that security. I'm, I want to amend it. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm the former. <laughs> I think I, I get a little bit like when I went to New York, I kept my place in LA. It, yeah. it was like, I didn't know if I was coming back or whatever. I think a, a little touch of that, but I also feel like, and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic too, where yeah. putting so much pressure on your art Yeah. Is, yeah, absolutely. Then you're going yeah. into meetings and auditions going, I, I don't just want this. I need it. Yeah. And, and I think people great. smell that panic. And I think, I think you're right. Again, I don't know. Energetically, if you believe in that, I, I just think that that's just not a good space to come from unless again, it, it's really invigorating unless you're like, you know, like, you know, so many comedians where it's like they lived in their cars and like, they just had to go like club to club. And it's like, that is great if that works for you. I also don't think we need to do that in this world. We're very diversified. I think that it's not a similar, like, you know, like doggy dog kind of culture. And there's a lot of ways to make money being creative more so than there ever was. I think I'd be so, I'd be so depressed living in my car and so achy that I couldn't do anything else. I'd be going to like auditions with my hair, like all to one side. Going, yeah, I just exactly. walked up from my car. I don't think I'd have House is parked outside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Be hard. I mean, I already have problems with temperature regulation in my apartment. So I, right. yeah, I can't imagine. I have a cat too. She wouldn't like that. Oh, where are you going to put the cat? She's used to, yeah. In the trunk? I don't think so. Do you have, um, do you have a story that you know you have in you to write, like for your show, like when I have my show, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a pilot that I would love to make. It's kind of, it's a, one of my samples, but I would love to do it. And it's about, it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different parts of my life. 
Um, but it's about growing up in Milwaukee and it's about the riot girl movement, which I didn't really know about when I was a kid. Um, or even when I probably would have been the most poignant to me, which is like, you know, like late mid middle school, early high school. But I think bringing that kind of like, I love that like nineties DIY culture, which has like scene making and punk music to my hometown, which is a, I come from a red state now. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a young adult uh, show about these girls who discover that um, in very similar uh, situation how as how I grew up and mm -hmm. and how segregated Milwaukee is and how they discover like their own voices through the specific music and art movement. So that would be very fun to make. Do you feel like um, that's the the story that you tell? Like you know how that you I feel like there's stories yeah. that I tell again and again, which is like. I don't know, like rising up. I tell a lot of mm -hmm. rising up to the occasion. Yeah. Is that your Definitely. Story? Yeah, I think I tell a lot of like um, reimagining oneself. Um, obviously, I'm like women like and, and young girls who are finding their voice. Rising the occasion is a good way of putting it. But I think also like defying their own identity in a way too, where they're yeah, like- tell me not, more about that. Um, like thinking that you are- Thinking you're one way and then being a different way. I think right. reimagining re oneself is a really big theme in a lot of the stuff that I write. Yeah. I think it's, it's very fun. And again, I think it speaks mm -hmm. to who we are and how many different levels we have. And also, I love the idea of like fucking up and dealing with that yes. and, you know, making a misstep and, and seeing where that takes you. I love like, I love like a kind of a poetic fail. I, yeah. I think, well, again, we're so inundated with perfection and good and the right moves and the right projects and the right whatever like knowing the right people and i think life is just more interesting seeing it from the opposite lens yeah i know if, i feel like if we can all get more comfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. you know and i don't know where it changed because i as kids we make mistakes all the time at what point yeah. in our life did we be like oh that's it for mistakes you've just turned yeah 17 well, that's it exactly what's well, all the pressure we put on ourselves and all the pressure this industry puts on us I yeah think that's huge and, and even admitting to mistakes and I think transparency around that of like listen I got help with this or yeah. I really this yeah. didn't work for me they did not like this this was rejected like people we don't talk enough about our rejections and our failures and all the things that we thought would work become something. We, of course, we talk about the things that are successful. We privilege that yeah. because, you know, it's, it's more visible to people, obviously, and it's more okay to talk about, but the other stuff's way more interesting. Yeah. What was your favorite mistake so far? My favorite mistake so far. Um, I think a lot of my mistakes come from jumping the gun on things like like starting or like sending something out too early or yeah. like oh, I remember one of my first jobs I like I just had this conversation with my husband I just, <laughs> amazing yeah and I was like just send it just send it he was like you know that your eyes aren't capitalized and I'm like I don't care just send <laughs> I know. It. that's exactly what I'm all about and I think we are more productive in that way than it is to make something so precious like I know other people are like it's so precious it needs to be perfect for me I'd rather be ascended out early than I would like cultivate it and it's not ready yet. Yeah. And I think we'll, I think we'll be rewarded for that. Honestly. I think also I learned from it too, right? Like my manager sent yeah. it back and he was like, you've messed this up. I'm like, got it. Like 
I don't know. Yeah. I think that I'm worried that if I start going down the rabbit hole of, of <laughs> capitalizing all my eyes, as if that's you don't what I don't have the time. No, I have the time. It's <laughs> a whole other finger to use. Uh, mm. But I feel like that's going to open up this whole thing about like perfection for me that I'm like, oh, maybe it's not right. Oh, let's wait another day. Let's wait another day. And I don't want to yeah. do that. But I want to hear your story. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I love the mentality of like, who cares? Because it's like, it doesn't really, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. And I know, you know, you want to, obviously, we want to do our best and all of that. But it really, at the end of the day, like, that's much more important and powerful to have the courage to, to do it and send it out. I think so. But then like, mm -hmm. I hear the story about this, this, you know, executive that almost didn't get the promotion because they spelt something wrong on their application. And that person was really persnickety about it. Like, I don't know. My brain goes, I, I, I feel like that opens up like a real dark area of yeah. be careful, be careful, which I don't like. I get, I, don't like I get where that would be anxiety ridden, but also like, would you really want to work for some, I mean, again, I, I haven't, <laughs> I've had the luxury of working for a lot of really great, cool people who like kind of got it, but yeah, there's, again, it's like feeding into the whole horror story of type a boss who like throws staplers at you and like yeah, you know you have to like read their signs no. yeah exactly and again i think it speaks to the kind of creator we are and i'm i'm thankful that i'm more on that side than i'm on the other side but my yeah my big thing which i'm actually really proud of my first tv job i was a writer on uh this disney reboot of win loser draw yes and uh, so i was like working on this game show i was uh, 27 28 i think and I was an associate producer and I was getting paid you know, 1100, 1200 a week, which again was a lot of money for me. Um, but the people around, I was doing way more work than the people around me. And I, I think maybe a month in, like I went and I asked for 1800 a week, which was what my, one of my coworkers was getting. And I, I didn't get it. And it sucked. I mean, I failed. They were like, this is, they were like, sit down <laughs> they were like not and they you know that's not true they were polite about it and they said you know the whole song and dance they didn't have enough money which was not true like of course they could have paid me that much i was making that much money i was just new to it and greener and you know agreed to this rate and it also like you know when you're in a freelance tv writing capacity like you agree to a rate it doesn't really go up that season like that's kind of not the norm but i think me being new to it gave me the courage to ask for it not get it, not feel too bad about it, right. um, and gave me perspective on next thing. And also the next job I interviewed for, I asked for that amount of money and I didn't get the job because I asked for too much money. Like, it's still like, <laughs> you yeah. know, you're like, oh boy, like, why didn't I ask for less? Or like what, you know, second guessing yourself in these ways, but honestly, like, you're worth it. And that was a much more valuable process for me than probably right. getting a job. So those are some some failures of being new to an industry and also not quite knowing my worth or my power, yeah. which I still think about. Well, how do you get your power now? How do you feel valuable? Um, I think just feeling confident, having a, like, a really strong uh, support system around me. Um, you know, I, like everyone else, I think I get it a lot from external reinforcing factors. Right. Um, but also just protecting myself. And that's what the artist way talks about too, like protecting your art, protecting yourself, mm -hmm. not letting it get out to everybody, not letting everyone have their opinion on what you're doing. Um, I think that is incredibly important. Um, yeah. Again, just keeping people out of it 
that's harder. It's I'll let everybody in. I'll talk about everything with everybody and just, yeah, creating a space where I feel like I'm making something that's mine for a while and gets to be developed alone without judgment. That's totally where I get my power. Um, Is that what ghost town's like for you? Do you feel like it's like, first (laughs) of all, I'm a huge, I mean, I feel like we have very similar tastes in a lot of things. Oh my God. Conversation after quarantine, we'll have to go a hundred percent, a hundred percent, but like murder mysteries (gasps) and and diving into any cult stuff. Oh my God. 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 You will have to hang. Okay. I love talking about a cult. Yeah. Not like yeah. nothing like a good cult discussion. Nothing like a meaty cult discussion. Oh, but I love the combo of funny, funny ghost lady. <laughs> yeah, and that's where we. I mean, we're not. We're me and Jason specifically. Like, we are not historians. We're not experts in anything. I think the success of the podcast come from us having worked together for over ten years at this point, and also like being funny about these very dark, dark things. Yeah. In fact, um, you probably know about this. One of our darkest episodes was the one about the greyhound bus for the guy oh my god yeah yeah yeah, I'm sure you know about this. yeah the guy um, just for folks that are listening that didn't yeah this, but he oh so tragic and horrific this guy so was on a greyhound bus i can't remember where he was coming from but he mm-hmm. decapitated a passenger like he was so yeah. mentally he was unwell. Like eating his body yeah and he is actually out and he's free now yeah um and it, it again yeah. it's just like this very and scary and they had to keep him on the bus the other passengers uh, while they waited for help it's a really really probably the darkest well i don't know about that which covered some dark things yeah but i think navigating that in a way where it's like hey we know how dark this is yeah and we, we want we want to try to make you laugh a little bit during this very horrifying story and but while this at the same time still respecting it too yeah um, that's a fine line to be walking ooh, yeah right? and we but, have i mean failed at that too <laughs> i do oh. get a lot of like messages of like dissatisfaction yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i mean we'll specifically we have a youtube channel which is we like put our episodes on there we get yeah we definitely some things and some things we again we're not experts we say our opinion, we're happy to, you know, take into consideration other people's opinions, but it's, yeah, sometimes it's not, yeah, I mean, mostly it's a popular opinion that we're illuminating things that I think a lot of people feel about whatever we're talking about, but sometimes, yeah. you know, we go kind of off the beaten path, and it's a little stranger, or we get personal about it and bring, you know, different things to the table in that way, and yeah, people often will react not often but a fair amount they'll be like we don't want to hear this yeah like this is wrong we don't well, like then don't take on it yeah right? exactly like, then sort of, you can just turn it off unf- you know there are other podcasts yeah <laughs> like as in <laughs> ten thousand other podcasts yes there are a couple other ones yeah. you could probably yeah. listen to it's um, not between ghost town and firecracker department you've got no. other choices god forbid you make that choice do not make that choice you don't <laughs> have to no you don't you have do. to what two ears Come on, there's two years, two earbuds. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, was there something in your own life that you that happened like in a haunted sense that kind of pulled you towards? Because I lived in a haunted uh, house for oh. three years in Victoria, British Columbia, which is known for oh my god, I know. also very beautiful place. Very beautiful. It's a great yeah. place for ghosts to grow up. Oh my god, mm-hmm. you'll have to yeah, you'll have to tell us. I mean, I don't know anything about it. I do know that there was somebody in my room that was not my my boyfriend or my roommate like I know for sure and then there was like 
instances of um yeah there was a bunch of instances like of of things moving on the mantelpiece because we had a two-sided fireplace oh and my so people god would sleep over and be like no. that absolutely so stuff like that that for sure eat that up yeah. i unfortunately have never had a haunted experience so how are you like I because I want it I'm obsessed so how are you living with this lack of I know it's it's awful it's my curse it's my own curses that ghosts are like "Mm, no thanks um yeah and even my co-host Jason who is a bigger like I have skeptical elements to my personality he's such a skeptic and he's seen way more ghost stuff than I have and I'm like yeah hello I'm right here I am receptive to it where (laughs) are you I'm a ghost cooler I just I chill them out I just they're like No, no, that's no. a funny story about this like just what you're saying is this somebody that's so obsessed and the ghosts are like stay away she's too much it's yeah too she's much. too much she's for too us intense. yeah we're not she gonna us too much we don't want to waste our precious ghost our ectoplasm energy on on this woman because she's yeah it's uh, not cool but yeah i i wish i had more i really i've always been into it i've yeah. always been like really into i remember reading helter skelter as like a middle schooler on like right. a family vacation and i my parents were like we're going snorkeling and i'm like i need to finish helter skelter you know it's like very like <laughs> all right well stay in the hotel room i guess yeah um, i've always loved it so my dad has also been i live on i lived on like michigan growing up mm-hmm. and i think he loves loves storytelling like loves comedy and he took i remember him telling us the scariest ghost stories and he'd take it was like i think i was maybe in fourth grade third grade and i had a bunch of like little friends and it was yeah. a sleepover party and he took us down the winding ravine to the beach at night and then he told us the scariest story even now when i think about it i'm like hmm, um right. of like a man who lost a hand at the beach yeah and how and then he made us look for the hand oh and my the fingers on the hand and I, ta- I talked to my dad about this and I'm like, do you remember like, just like scaring me and these other little girls so badly? And he's like, yeah, I, I felt kind of bad about that. And I'm like, all right. Like, how old were you? I must've been, how old are you in third or fourth grade? You're like um, eight or nine. Yeah. Like a child though. Like that. Yeah. Oh, a little tiny girl. Yeah. yeah a little baby girl. <laughs> my mom used to do that too. I remember sitting watching movies. And every once in a while, first of all, we'd go looking for ghost eyes in the, in the, um, ghost eyes, right? Like, why would she put me even in that <laughs> mind frame? Uh, we'd have a birthday party and we lived just adjacent to the uh-huh. fancy people. So there was a golf course next to like in our neighborhood, but uh-huh. you know, what I mean? like, they were the fancy and then we were just adjacent. <laughs> and so we would go for a walk and she'd be like, let's look for ghost eyes, meaning golf balls. Oh, vividly remember like watching tv and we had this big window and every once in a while mm-hmm. she would just pop up in the window oh my god right it scares me thinking oh about it oh my god yeah oh. that parents love to fuck what with their the heck? kids i think yeah. if, if there's any lesson it's that parents they really just want to get us they want to make sure that we're in therapy for the rest of our lives well mission accomplished <laughs> i know right i'm on the case Okay, I'm going to ask you some wrap-up questions, and they can be short or long answers, but it helps me wrap this up, because I never like to say goodbye. (laughs) I honestly, I said to somebody, we were were talking about production, I was like, we could call this, um, I could talk to you all day, because it really does, like, feel like, it's so fun, and I know, like, you and I have such similar things. I know. There has to be a wrap-up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. What do you want to be best known for? 
Um, uh, comedy, and I would like to get better at baking, too. I'm a horrible <laughs> baker. In this day and age, I can't be a bad baker. It's not a good look. You know, Rebecca so Lee, she was a baker. She was she <laughs> she great. Bake. She made a great chocolate cake. Just give me one. Give me one thing. What's two words <laughs> to describe your mental state right now? Um, caffeinated mm-hmm. and excited. My boyfriend is actually outside right now with a tiny, my friend's tiny puppy that I'm, yeah, I got oh. it right before we started this podcast. Um, and so we're, we're watching it till about 2 p.m. Oh, so. I'm cutting into your puppy time. Okay. No, no, um, okay. What's the, if, if you're going to write a book, obviously, because mm-hmm. you're a writer, what is the book going to be about? Um, uh, food and haunted history. Both. Not one, both of them. Ghost food. <laughs> Ghost gum. Ghost gum. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, what, uh, if this was a movie, like your life is a movie, and uh-huh. after this discussion, the credits are going to roll, what has been the turning point of your movie so far? The, the climax. The climax of my movie so far. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, probably uh, maybe my, like, my first paycheck for a TV job. I think that's like, oh, my God. Is yeah. this real? Cash it's, this right away. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be okay. That kind of yeah, thing. yeah. Like, oh my god, I actually what I do. Mom, yeah. Dad, like I made some money doing this. I love it. What uh, what's something that people don't know about you? People don't know about me. Um, who uh, I yeah, I, I guess I was a, a tour guide for a, a very a, a long time. That's something that people don't know about, about me. Um, what were you? I grew up very. Uh, around here, and then I, I did, well, I think I have a better answer to that. Oh, yeah, I rode horses, like, very, I was very into horses as a kid, too. Okay. Which maybe it's not surprising, but I, I wanted to be a jockey as a kid, and I just got too tall, which I'm not even that tall. I'm, like, 5'2". I wanted to be a jockey, and I was, like, I was the tallest girl in my class ever, and I remember, <laughs> no. I remember my mom going, well, they have to be short. Actually, it was probably my brother going, you can't be a jockey. You're too tall. Well, there goes that dream. <laughs> I know. How fun would that be? Um, what, uh, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do before you die? Oh, what is something that I haven't done yet? I think I need to uh, try. I need to maybe cut some. I need to get bangs for, like, for once <gasps> in my life. I feel like I, I really missed out. Everyone's cutting their own bangs. I just need bangs for a while. Oh my gosh, that is such a great goal because I guarantee you can accomplish it. I guarantee. I know, I I just got to pull the trigger. So at some point in my life, you'll see me like, bangs, she did it. I mean, I have a couple of hairdressing friends that would talk you through (laughs) it on Zoom if you're interested. They would probably talk me out of it. Everyone I know, they're like, don't do it. Bangs are so hard. They're like high maintenance and I'm the least... I need my hair to be easy. I know. I I once in a while I do bangs and then I'm like, ugh. Uh, and then yeah. I just, and then I wear those crazy little pins like I know and it's like even long hair I had short hair for a little while and I was like why is this harder than have long hair is easy yeah like you just brush through it uh. yeah I'm with you um, yeah. my final question is what advice would you have given to your younger self oh um nobody knows what they're doing literally nobody so you also don't know what you're doing but you're in the you're in the same hands in the same place as everybody else you're smart you're capable know that I love it. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to have met you. This has been you such too. a treat. Oh my God. I we can't wait to, to see up. what you do. It's so yeah. exciting where you're, where your world oh. is taking you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We'll see. We'll you're see. such a fun, oh my God. You're going to write such fun stuff for our community. <laughs> Keep going. Oh God. I hope you're right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for yeah, now. Absolutely. 
So you can follow Rebecca on Instagram and Twitter at Rebecca L-E-I-B. And if you're an Angelino, you have to check out her eulogy of local restaurants, paying homage to the businesses we've lost in L.A. since the pandemic, which is super tragic. And I love that we are still celebrating our local businesses wherever we are, which will be linked in her bio and in our show notes. So go check that out. We hope you're making it through all right during these wild days and supporting your local restaurants, your local stores, whenever and wherever you can to the best of your abilities. It's not easy. I mean, if you don't have the funds, don't forget, you could always do little shout outs on social media. Like, I love this restaurant because I know every little bit helps. And it is something we can do. When you're feeling kind of powerless in the age of this pandemic, it is something we can do. So give some shout outs. Hey, speaking of shadows, those reviews that you're leaving over on our iTunes, they really help get people's attention on our podcast. So if you haven't left a review, please do. I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy. It can just be like, I like this podcast or this podcast is fun. Naomi is okay. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth if you want to use something other than okay, but I'm just saying it doesn't have to be fancy. And they're super helpful for us. And it brings more people to listen to these voices and these stories that we are connecting with. So thanks. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the notes. I love them all and keep them coming. Firecrackerdepartment.com for all the other information. I'm Naomi Sneakus. Keep bold, keep brave, keep creating. We'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong eight on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. You can follow me on social media at my last name, at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. And we are so excited and feel so lucky to have two amazing, incredible firecracker interns for the winter of 2021. Fran Caviello and Saba Dolati. And I have to say, these are firecracker humans to their core, and we're so lucky to have them with us. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Don't forget, we also have a weekly brunch on Zoom every Sunday, and our live Firecracker follow-ups return this month, so stay tuned to our socials for who and when. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you from each of the episode. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Let us know. Share it because it just reverberates. You know, if you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you sitting there driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at the Firecracker online community, maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. Come on and share some time with us. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. <laughs>